welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning, Awaken. The artist in residence for the month of October is Ed Jenkins. Ed is an actor and a storyteller, and each Sunday this month he will be bringing us an original story. So please welcome Ed. Here I am. I am Edward Lee Jenkins III. I have been called Edward, Ed, Eddie, and Eduardo. I was born February 29th, 38 years ago. I am a Pisces. I am African American, rooted in Alabama and Mississippi ancestors. I am strong. I am vulnerable. Here I am. I'm an actor. I love to tell stories. The first time I performed was when I was four years old. Um, Not in a theater, but in a church. Uh, Very much like this, except everyone was black. (laughs) Now, when you're four years old, they mostly tell you to hush up in church. But my mom told me to speak up in the St. Paul Baptist Church Children's Easter Pageant. I had to recite a poem by memory. Now, I didn't know how to read when I was four, so I rehearsed with my mom in the kitchen. You know, she would have me to stand there, and she would kneel here. Now, all right, Edward. Now, okay, hold your hands together, okay, in front of you, just like that, okay? Now, repeat after me. All I want to say... All I want to say is Happy Easter Day. Is Happy Easter Day. I was ready. <laughs> Not, but, but the day of performance, oh, nervous. I was only four. <laughs> and even then, I realized that speaking up in front of all these people, saying something that you, recite, that you recited by memory and not messing up was crazy. I was dressed in my Sunday best. That means no jeans. I had a suit on, a clip-on tie, and my afro was picked out to perfection. <laughs> all I want to say is happy Easter day. Jesus did arise, and now he is alive. Amen! (laughs) Amen! (laughs) Relief. Oh, but more than that, exhilaration. My audience. (laughs) No, no, no. The community of believers. Their unconditional support lifted me up. The community brought me higher. I wanted to do that again. And I did, the next year and the next. And the older I got, the more I performed. The nervousness didn't seem to go away. It was there, haunting me as thick as death. Why, oh, why am I doing this and performing? It's torture. Is the joy of performing even worth it? I mean, 
nervousness is exhausting. Oh, it just, it doesn't feed me. I feed it, and it grows bigger. It grew, and even not just before I performed, but after. How am I doing? Am I doing okay? Doing great, am, I, am I good? <laughs> oh, thank you. I, I, I messed up back there. Could you tell? Nope. Oh, you did? oh, really? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I'm still not satisfied. <laughs> Here I am. I'm all of me, and I need to be more. I, I, I need to be great. Okay? I need, I need to be perfect. Nervousness festers like a snake slithering from your stomach, growing tighter around you till you can hardly breathe. I am in a performance prison with bars made by me. I feel God beckoning me to perform. I want to perform, but I'm too embarrassed after I perform. I'm in a prison fitted just for me, made by me, that I can't escape and I don't want to leave. Thank God, God is God. His unconditional support lifts me up. His spirit brings me higher. The more I performed, the more I prayed for God to move in it, the more I gave to him, the more he gave to me the ability to take that festering snake by the tail. Today, here I am. I am Edward Lee Jenkins III. I am called husband, friend, brother, and son. I am a follower of Jesus. I am rooted in the rock of my salvation. I am strong. I am vulnerable. Here I am. All of me for all of you. Thank you, Ed. Uh, Ed's going to be uh, doing puppets next week. Just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, in all seriousness, Ed is going to be uh, offering um, stories in, from different perspectives and in different ways each week, uh, kind of connected to the series that we're in on Moses. And so I'm looking forward to it. So thank you, Ed. Um, always good stuff. <clears throat> no, this actually was here this morning. I didn't know it was coming, and I'm not really sure what to do with it. Uh, we do have a guy in the first hour who was here who actually does puppets, and he was like, this could be good, guys. Could be good. <laughs> this was here, and the screen was gone when I showed up this morning, so... We've, uh, we've been to work here at Awaken. Welcome to church planting, everybody. Uh, my name is Micah. If we have not met, I'm the lead pastor here at Awaken, and uh, I'm excited to see you all. Glad you're here. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Exodus chapter 6. We're in a series on Moses. We've been there for about seven or eight weeks now. So just a little bit of review, uh, some of the things that we've covered, the big sort of uh, ideas, if you will. We started Exodus, and Exodus begins with a phrase, these are the names and we've looked at some very important names that show up in Scripture because names are often more than just names. Moses means drawn from the water, which of course becomes a part of his journey. Egypt means the narrow place. Pharaoh is this, uh, uh, well, insidious sort of oppressive leader. Uh, we've talked about Moses' mother and how she places him not in a basket but an ark. 
Interestingly, she entrusts God with the thing that she loves the most into this thing that only God can preserve. What does it mean to do that? Uh, Moses, of course, has been to a burning bush. We've seen him turn aside. The rabbis say that the bush was always burning, but Moses saw it that day and stopped and turned aside. Uh, Hineni is this word that is just loaded, and Ed even said it, here I am. It's those moments where we say, it's all of me right here, right now, to you, God, whatever that looks like and, and whatever that means. And it becomes the, the place. Uh, Moses is told, stop, don't move when he gets to the burning bush, as if there's something special about this place. Whenever we say, Hineni, whenever we say, here I am. Uh, and then last week, we talked a little bit about Pharaoh's heart, and we've discussed fear and God asking us to lay down our identity and trust God with it. Uh, I want to say one thing about last week before I jump into this week, if you were here. We talked about Pharaoh's heart and this idea that uh, in the scriptures it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And I want to make a pretty strong case that it's not in fact God up there pulling strings like a puppet master and determining everything, but rather Pharaoh had a choice in this and that he wasn't predestined to do this, but rather uh, our own choices matter and and, uh, we can exercise free will. I think one caveat that I want to make that I think it's important because it's certainly found in the scriptures if you look for it, that there are times when God tests us. Uh, In fact, Abraham and Isaac, the story of Abraham and Isaac opens with, and God tested Abram or Abraham. Uh, And these are tough places because sometimes people think, uh, well, maybe everything that's going bad is God testing me or or whenever suffering happens, God is testing me. And, And I don't think it's that easy. But I also don't want to sort of you know, push that aside and say that tests don't happen. And I think one piece that's really helped me is when tests arrive or show up in the scriptures, it's often to reveal what's already there. So tests in the scriptures reveal what's already in people's hearts. Uh, and so when we're tested, it's as if a light is shined on us and what's going on in us. So, but I wanted to just kind of make it that caveat because I, I get carried away at times and I make one point at the at the behest or at the sort of diminishment of another. And sometimes it's both. So I get that. I'm working on it. So Exodus chapter 6, we'll pick up the story. This is uh, one of one of the more famous passages in Exodus, the four I will statements of Exodus or the four I will statements of Yahweh. So I'll ask you to stand if you can, and we'll read from Exodus chapter 6. It says this, beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving and I've remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm when with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession, for I am the Lord. Pray with me. God, as we open this book again this week, uh, I'm mindful of many of our friends who are probably running somewhere 
in Minneapolis right now, running a marathon, uh, many from Awaken who have partnered with World Vision, and I'm mindful of their sacrifice and their hard work, and so we pray for them. We're with them in spirit. Thank God, not in real. We're not running, but we're with them in spirit, and we, we also, uh, we, we want to be mindful of the people that they're running for. God, for those who need clean water, and we're mindful of all of the things, all of the ways that you gift and bless us. And God, we, we want to do what we can, not out of guilt or obligation or shame, but out of a heart that recognizes that uh, there are some who have been given more and who uh, want to be faithful to invest that more. And so, God, we do what we can, whether it's running a marathon or uh, organizing a fundraiser or whatever it is, uh, but don't let us ever forget uh, help us to always be mindful. Um, today, as we study your scriptures, God, would you make us more of who we are, more of who you intended us to be, more of who you created us to be. May the good, the tov, the beauty, the hope, the love that you have put in us grow. May the things that are not of you diminish. Uh, may we become more like you. We pray this in your name and all God's people said. Amen. You can have a seat. So this is a big moment in Scripture, Exodus chapter 6, for a lot of different reasons, but one being that it's, it's been since Genesis 12 when God comes to Abram and begins a rescue operation where God says, I will bless you, I will make a great nation out of you, through you the world will be blessed. God acts and becomes actively involved in the story again. And we see God and hear God in the midst of the story of Genesis from Genesis 12 to Exodus 6. But this is a big moment because God re-engages in activity. I will do something in the world and with you. And so this is a big, big moment for the Israelite people. Um, I want to look at these four things that God says. And then I want to ask a couple of questions because I think that uh, questions often help me uh, wrestle with what's being said or asked. And so... The first thing God says in Exodus 6, verse 5, is, I will bring you out from under the burden. The word is yatsah, great little word. It means to come or go out. So Yahweh will yatsah you, the Egyptians, out from under the burden of the Egyptians. Uh, imagine a youth pastor, stunning, quick wit, about 37 or so. That's uh, me. Uh, imagine a youth pastor uh, like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and in a junior high room with a bunch of sweaty junior hires, and one of these junior hires gets the brilliant idea to yell, Dogpile Micah! And you know what's coming, right? Sweaty boys, about 15 of them, all surround me and jump on top of me. And if you've ever been in a room with lots of junior high kids, like we love them, and we love them for, and, and we love them because of what they will be, and we try to love them for what they are in those moments because it is rank, okay, if you've ever been there. I, I remember this one trip we took. We're going down to New Mexico. We're in 15 passenger vans, which are of the devil. We are driving to New Mexico, and it's like, who did not take a shower? It was so bad, you guys. Like, you could not even breathe without gagging. And all the, the leaders in the van were like, so we're taking bets, you know, like, who could it be? And then we come to find out... It, it was this poor junior high little girl. It was a shocker, like total, like we never saw it coming. But on the way home, we're like, you may not enter the bus, the van, unless you have showered. 
we like bought kids deodorant sticks. It was just brutal. So this is, you know, imagine junior high room, somebody else dogpile Micah and that, 15 of that, jumps on top of me and uh, begins to sort of dogpile as it were. Now imagine that you're somewhat claustrophobic and imagine that you do not like confined spaces and imagine that you have a somewhat relatively developed fear of, uh, <laughs> of suffocating from early injuries you've uh, uh, undergone as a child from your brothers, and all you can see is darkness, and all you can smell is like the backside of a leg pit of denim <laughs> of some junior high kid that has not washed these jeans in a long time. Imagine that, and all this weight is on top of you. You need to be yatsad at that moment, okay? Are you with me? Like, can you imagine this? This is when you need somebody to sort of come over and grab you by the hands and pull you out from under this pile of sweaty, stinky junior high boys. And then you bring the thunder, you bring the hurt, you mess with the bull, you get the horns, baby. <laughs> I was all bark and no bite. But. but have you ever been there, figuratively speaking, where you're under something and you just cannot get out? Where it's dark or depressing or a job or a coworker or a family system and you just cannot and it is heavy on you you know what this means i will yatsa i will take i will pull you out from under this thing that is weighing down on top of you now you know what that means i will deliver you from slavery the word Natsal, not to be confused with Nadal, the tennis player. Is it, what's his first name? Raf. There we are. Thank you. Uh, that guy and his hair. Have you ever watched him play? Just always doing this. Always hair. He's a hair guy. <laughs> Cut your hair, dude. Or ponytail it or something. Uh, not to be confused with that. Oh, to deliver. To rid of is what the word means. So God says, I will deliver you. I will rid you of slavery or of being in this system of slavery. And as I was thinking about this word and, and like, what does it mean? What is delivery? What does it mean to rid, to be rid of something? I'm not sure why, but I just couldn't stop thinking about the room, the, the, the day my, my first daughter was born, Hadley. So we're there. Laura, of course, is pregnant. I'm not. And, uh, and there's this woman who's a midwife. And a midwife's job, like all they do is advocate for you and help deliver, the, help bring out this life that cannot, can no longer be contained and is bursting to be born, literally. And their job is to help bring this thing out into the world. They deliver babies and subsequently rid these women of the pain that is racking their bodies. I cannot even imagine. Unimaginable pain. Um, God says to Israel, I will deliver you from slavery. God takes the position of a midwife and becomes this agent of new birth for this people. Do you guys, do you ever get packages at your house? Like the FedEx guy or the UPS gal? You know when you get a package and you're like waiting for it, you've ordered something on Amazon or whatever or something else, another thing, buy it now, like one click? That is just, 
dangerous, dangerous, buy with one click. Okay. But then you're, you're, it's coming, and you can hear it like rumbling, and, the, and the, the, they're never, they're, they're not made very well. So these things like rattle down the road, and you're like, yes, my package is here today. That's every time the delivery guy comes, I'm like, I love that guy. I love that girl. Can you imagine being, doing that for a living? Like you, your job is to like take these packages and deliver them, like bring them from here to there to give to these people who most of the time, I'm assuming, are like, yes, <laughs> my book is here or all the components to make my brewery are here. <laughs> that was a fun couple of months, man. Packages were just coming all the time. and That was great. My kids were like, dad, the UPS guy's here again. Yes, I will deliver you, God says. I will redeem you with outstretched arms. The word is ga'al, two A's there. And think back to the Old Testament. There's a story about this woman named Ruth, if you know this story. She's a foreigner. She marries an Israelite. She marries this guy who ends up dying, which culturally, not good, like at all. In fact, beyond not good, you're as good as dead. If you are a woman in the ancient Near East, who's married a foreigner, your husband, who then dies, if somebody else doesn't, uh, it's called kinsman redeemer, if they don't kind of become uh, the person who, at their own sacrifice, take you in or redeem you, as it were, and give you a life and a hope and a future, then you're as good as dead. Now, on this side of the 21st century, we can critique and say there's all kinds of things that I don't really like about that, but be that as it may, in this culture, this is what it was. If you're a woman, and your husband dies, and somebody doesn't take you in, you're as good as dead. And so in comes to this story, this guy named Boaz. What a great name, Boaz. And Boaz becomes the kinsman redeemer for Ruth. And by that, I mean, he gives her a future, and a life, and a hope, and joy at his own sacrifice, at cost to me. And so God says to Israel, I will be your redeemer. I will redeem you. I will purchase you back and redeem you from Egypt. And then God says, and I will take you as my own. Now, I've had a, uh, a, the, the fortunate experience to watch a number of families who have gone through the adoption process in my years of being a pastor. And it's so interesting to watch. You know, I've, I've had the privilege of hearing these snippets along the way, and it's, 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 it's as if this little seed gets planted in the heart of this family, and sometimes it's a kid in the family, or sometimes it's a parent, and then something begins to grow in this family, and they're like, yeah, I mean, we're thinking this is crazy, but we're thinking maybe we might adopt a child. And I mean, we're not really sure, and it's kind of like all this sort of maybes and what ifs and could it be and whatnot. And then all of a sudden, something grows, and then it gets to this point where this family, these kids, these parents say, we're ready to take in a child into our family that wasn't before. I had a prof in college or in seminary who actually said, no matter what, every child has to be adopted. And we've heard stories and horrible stories of parents who didn't adopt their children, didn't take them in as mom or dad. Every one of us had to be adopted, which is an interesting way to think about it. But God says to Israel, like a father, like a mother, I will take you in 
all of you and make you my people. You will be my own. Now, so we have God saying, I will bring you out from under, I will deliver you, I will redeem you with outstretched arms, I will take you as my own. And if we're not careful, I think we miss something that is very important but unspoken, and it's a piece to this puzzle that I think if we miss, we're in big trouble. What is implicit in this passage but explicit elsewhere are five words that change everything. If you will let me. You see, when we read a passage like this, I think the danger is to think that God is sort of on high giving these dictations that I will redeem you, I will save you, I will take you out of slavery, I will take you in and make you my people, whether you want me to or not. And so God becomes this sort of dictator from on high who unilaterally makes a decision that's sort of regardless of any of your thoughts or opinions or cares or concerns. And that's actually not what's happening here because over and over and over again in the scriptures, we hear God saying, if you will obey my commands, then these things, this life will burst forth for you and in you. If you will follow me, then I will. If you will, then this. And I don't know everything, but I have learned a couple of things in my journey, and one of them that has been a game changer for me in the last 10 years is this shift. And it's five words that turn dictation and command into invitation. And when that changes, when we begin to see God as the one who invites, the one who offers, the one who gives and waits, instead of the one who is doing this or saying that or moving these things, or I think it changes the fundamental picture of who and what God is like. If you will let me. Which is an invitation. It requires a response. It's not an ultimatum. So three questions as we kind of try to land this thing. Number one, who or will you cry out to Yahweh? We turn to all kinds of different things when we're in trouble. When it gets bad, when the lights go out, when the voices are not ones that we want to be listening to, when something doesn't work out, when it breaks, when it fails, when it falls apart, we turn to all kinds of different things as humans to cope. The obvious ones, of course, are drugs and alcohol and substances. We don't want to feel this, and so we imbibe that. We don't want to feel this, and so we participate in that. The less obvious ones, though, food, power, our jobs, our capacity, our ability to do, sometimes isolation. But the, the scriptures ask the question again and again and again, who or what will you turn to? And so I'll just stop for a moment this morning and say, who do you turn to? What do you turn to? When it's getting hard, when it gets difficult, when it doesn't work out, when it goes bad, what's your first move? For me, oftentimes it's, I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I can figure it out. I'm smart. I'm smart enough. I'm good looking. Gosh darn it, people like me. <laughs> They're like, I can do it. 
Don't worry, I'll take care of it. Get it done. Make it happen. That's what I do. When it goes bad for me, and I don't turn to God, I think I can do a pretty good job. I think I can get it done. What about you? What do you turn to? And, and I think this is a question that maybe we don't spend a lot of times quiet enough or silent enough or still enough to really entertain. But if you're honest, when it gets really hard, what's the natural move? Facebook, sugar, chocolate, booze, Netflix. Gosh, that one's bad. That's a number, right? <laughs> I could sit there for two hours and not even realize what just happened. In fact, I have <laughs> many times. Who or what will you turn to? When you reach the end, when you can't fix it, make it, build it, create it, earn it, stop it, who or what do you reach for? Yahweh is offering God's self and saying, here I am. Second question is, do you want it? Which seems like a really dumb question, right? Hey, guy in prison, do you want to get free? Uh, hey, person who uh, has this affliction, would you like to be healed? Yeah, of course, right? I'm in prison, let me out. Do you want to be free? Do you want it? I remember when I was a hockey player as a kid, they would do you know, these killers. Do you remember killers in practice? Any athletes out there? Okay, for hockey, it's red line to blue line back, red line to red line back, red line to blue line back, red line to red line back, and then you die. That's why they call it killers. And then they resurrect you and they make you do it again. They actually have like resurrection machines at the end and they make you get up and do it all over again. And while you're doing it, the coach is like, do you want it? Do you want to win? Do you want to be a champion? And you're like, no, of course not. If I didn't, I wouldn't be here, you bonehead. Do you want it? Yeah! Macho. But I think in healing, whether it's emotional or physical or spiritual, we would do well to stop for a moment and actually answer the question, do you want to be healed? Do you want whatever burden it is that's on top of you to be lifted? Do you want to be healed? Because if you are, you can no longer use it as an excuse to continue to do whatever it is you're doing. Sometimes freedom is actually scarier than being in prison. And so we sabotage. We get close enough, but not too close. And then if we get too close, then we sabotage whatever that is so that it doesn't hurt me. This is what we do. And so the question, do you want to be saved, seems like a really dumb question, but I would ask you. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be free? If there's something that is over you, like a burden, do you want to be pulled out from under that? Because if you are, then you can't use that as an excuse anymore to keep doing whatever it is you're doing. Okay, now we're talking. Do you want to be free? Aviva Zornberg is a rabbi who was interviewed by a woman named Krista Tippett on On Being, and he says this. Moses is very sensitive to the problem that he has and that he senses the people also have. 
the whole situation as I understand it, as the story begins, is not a simple one of, cruel, of a cruel persecuting Pharaoh and poor helpless victims. Get this, it's poor helpless victims who will, in some, who will need in some way to arouse within themselves the capacity to be redeemed. That is, to open themselves up to relationship, to communication. I'd like to suggest, I'm not the only one that says this, I'd like to suggest that the whole story really is about the need for the people to be more than an object that has to be yanked out of Egypt. My friend Steve Weens, in a book he's writing, says, what would it mean for you to believe that you are more than an object that needs to be yanked out of whatever darkness you're in? What would it mean for you to wrestle down your own heaviness of mouth? That's the word that's used when Moses says, I can't speak. Your own heaviness of mouth or heart so that what is currently closed off in you might be opened up? What would it look like for you to arouse within yourself the capacity to be redeemed? What would you need? Before we can experience the light of day one, the presence of God, hovering above the chaos, we have to want it. Now I recognize that this flies in the face of a popular Christian belief that you are totally depraved and that there is nothing good in you and that it is all God's work and all of God's action. And while on the one hand I want to affirm that, it says in the scriptures that our hearts are deceitfully wicked and no one can know them, that on their own we always turn to ourselves, and that the gift of God is grace that we don't deserve, and that we can do nothing to earn, yes, and there is a sense in which you have to somehow have the capacity within yourself to be redeemed, to want it to want to be healed, to want to be saved, to want to be redeemed. Because God does not do what God is not invited to do. Which leads me to the last question. Will you, will you let God do what God does? Will you let God do what God does? And I'll close with this. Last year, at this time actually, my wife was running a marathon. Go Laura, proud of you. Still can't believe it. Warrior. I was in Israel. And I have a interesting and difficult relationship with my dad at times. And that has led to some very hard, hard points in my life. Where I have longed for and wanted a, an older man to be a father to me and to pour himself into me, and to validate me, and to say I'm proud of you, and all of these different things that a boy would want their father to do. And that has led to, uh, had led to a lot of anger, and a lot of bitterness, and a lot of resentment. I was so mad at God. Sometimes I still am. But I was so mad at God that like, I, I don't think I'm that bad, that I didn't deserve that, that I didn't have people who were those kinds of people in my life. And why? Did you withhold that from me? Or why did that not happen? And people would say, well, you know that God might want to do that for you. And I'd be like, man, shut up. Like, don't say that to me. Have you ever been in that situation where like somebody says something and it just doesn't, it does not fall on fertile ground? You know what I mean? And it sounds like it's just so patronizing, right? Well, God wants to do that. I want a real person with real skin on who can hug me and love me. And so I said, I don't want it. No. And for so long, I was mad and angry and bitter. And I'd just like wrestle and fight about this thing. 
And so I show up in Israel, and I'm sitting on the Sea of Galilee one night, and this topic of conversation comes up, and somebody says, well, do you know that God might want to do that for you? And I was, and at this point, I just lost it. Like, I started swearing. I was cursing like a sailor. I was on the Sea of Galilee. Come on. <laughs> so I'm just, like, cursing, and I said, I am done with this conversation. I do not want to talk about this anymore. And then it was that really awkward silence, because you're in, like, a social setting, and somebody just, like, you know, raw, you know, like there's their heart. And everyone's kind of like, wow, that was a little more than I bargained for. (laughs) Could I please have another glass of wine? Because this is getting awkward. And something cracked in me in that moment, sitting on that shore. And I remember a couple days later, I have a picture. I didn't I actually didn't take a picture of this moment because I wanted to remember it. I wanted to have to actually be present to it to remember it. So I didn't capture it, and somebody just gifted me with a picture. So they were standing behind me. I didn't know it. So there I am standing on the Sea of Galilee, and the most brilliant sun is beaming down off the lake, and the waves are coming in, and the wind is blowing. And I remember writing in my journal, God, I'm open to whatever that looks like. And I'm tired of being angry. And a couple days later, I wrote a prayer on a piece of paper that said, God, if you want to be, if you want to father me, okay. Really technical. Highly theological. And I take that paper and I find the most inconspicuous, like, off the beaten path part of the wall in Jerusalem, which, like, off the beaten path, do you know how many millions of people? They clean them out. The prayers that they jam in the, the wailing wall, they actually take them out and bury them on the Mount of Olives. But I tried to find the most, like, way off in the corner one, because, like, I want that to stay there. And I want to, for some reason, I just want to know that, like, that prayer is there, where all those things happened. And do you have any idea how many stories I could tell you about the moments where I feel like God has spoken to me as a dad since that day? It's not put a quarter in the slot and pull the... That's not how God works. But I will tell you my experience, and it is one where when I finally said, okay, do what you do, guess what? God did what God does. In, a, in the silence of a Minnesota winter, God-forsaken cold winter, last year, I heard God say, Micah, you, actually, I didn't hear my name. I heard, you are my son, and I love you, and I'm proud of you. Like, clearer than, crystal clear. Last week, I'm sitting in that room with seven men, and we're in prayer, and I heard, I heard, I heard, I'm imagining Jesus sitting with me, and I heard Jesus say my name for the first time. I've never heard God speak in that voice to me. And I heard Jesus say, Micah, I'm doing a work in you, so be patient with me. Which is like, will you, if you will let me, this is what Abba wants to do. This is who God is. I will redeem you. I will save you. I will deliver you. I will bring you out if you will let me. And so I guess I, I'll leave you with this question this morning. Will you let God do what God does?
I'm going to ask the folks who will be leading us in song to come, and I want to pray. So I'd ask you to join me as I do that. God, this is a a story that was written thousands of years ago to a group of people that we have never met. And this was for them. And you told them, I will bring you out. I will free you from slavery. I will redeem you with outstretched arms and I will take you as my own people if you will let me. And as we read this today, God, I am of the sneaky suspicion that we could say that this is what you're like. This is who you are. You are the God who comes to the bottom of the dog pile and pulls out the people who just cannot get out. You are the God who takes those seeds of life that are in us and you help deliver them and you make them come alive. You breathe your spirit into them so that they become more and more and more so that the tov, the good, the things that are in us become real. You are the God who says, if you want to be free, if you feel like you're enslaved and you can't get out, or maybe even that you deserve to be there, I will open that door and we will walk out together. This is who you are. Not because we deserve it, but because you love us that much. Because you're sad that it didn't happen the way it should have, that you longed for what we longed for, but that you want to be what we need. And so if it's a father will be like a father. If it's a mother, you will be like a mother. If it's a warrior, you will be like a warrior. If it's someone who clears the path, who fixes the past, who forgives and restores and rebuilds and renews, that you will be those things because that is who you are. And so God, be to us what we need. For those who have the courage to say, I will let God be what God will be. Just do what you do. Restore, rebuild, renew, remake, forgive, make whole. I mentioned this earlier in the first gathering, but I love being led by strong women who can lead, so thank you. friends, here's the dealio. God says something to a group of people a long time ago that wasn't for you, really, right? This was to Israel. But I think this is what God is like, and this is what God does. And so I want to give you an invitation this week. If you journal or you write or maybe you have some time on your own to dedicate it to this question of God, what would you say to me? What is your words of hope and courage and of life to me. And maybe it's, I will heal you, or I will be with you, or can we do this together?
whatever it is, just write that down. That's for you. And trust that the spirit of God is the spirit of truth and that the spirit speaks what God says. So give it a go, all right, if you want. Grace and peace. I love you guys. See ya. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.